I hold the entire responsibility and any associated praise and or shame to be had with this title. Let it be punned to death. Welcome back to Mind Wander, the weekly to bi-weekly show interspersed between hospital shifts, where I delve into new topics in which I have next to no expertise and hopefully come out with something on the other side. My name is Bryn and... Let's start with a real-world recap. Emergency medicine usually involves shift work, 10-hour shifts that have sufficient overlap between each other to allow for minimal fatigue and to cover the steady stream of patient influx, day, evening, and night. From experience, there is never a dull moment, and it's part and parcel of my interest in this profession. Each shift, based on the timing, will typically and unintentionally have a different theme, based on weekday versus weekend and caseload, honestly. Day shifts usually start as the dust settles from overnight, with a good buffer between and before the next amount of patients arriving off the bus or after dropping the kids off at school, in every sense of the term, unfortunately. By the time it's finished, you can usually leave the department's evening shift with sufficient work and or chaos. Nightwise, you're picking up, well, you're essentially picking up the results of said chaos with less staff from the evenings, resulting in managing equal, if not more, patients. And plan on overnights as meant to settle and tie up all loose ends and catch up to a fairly emptier department by morning. Fingers crossed. The theme of evening shift can be summed up by one anecdote, and in my recent runs, something that happened on my evening one. 10 o'clock at night, the last 40 minutes of my shift, right before handover is the time we sort out all missing ends and or last minute investigations before providing our plan to the next team. Let it be said first, that there is no real, well-designed emergency department. In terms of layout, people are efficient beyond belief. But even with the best intentions, these plans can always shift. Whether from history repeating itself in the same bed space, or due to original designs for areas getting purposed and repurposed over the years, as any and every possible treatment zone, offices become beds, become storerooms, become offices again, in especially in the COVID era pandemic, I have probably in the ED I've been in witnessed at least a half dozen layout changes. The area in question for this tale is a four bed nook with no real central entryway except for one. In essence, every person who enters this area will essentially see everyone. And I mean everyone coming and going, no matter who is treating who. In an attempt to treat one of my patients, I end up unintentionally running distracting, this distraction, and or interference on another. One who unfortunately was significantly intoxicated and couldn't securely stand, but was actively trying to leave. A poor elderly woman was slowly trying to force her way past security. But security had their hands full with many other patients who actively were trying to abscond and or threaten violence. 
which left me in this corner, continually attempting to verbally de-escalate a patient who warped constantly between wanting to go and wanting treatment for her head injury, which we wanted to give. The result, I'm standing at the foot of the bed as this poor woman is slowly but softly headbutting my chest and unsuccessfully trying to push me back. Feet away is probably one of the more peculiar sights I've seen in my recent experience, and I still don't know what this kind man was in for to this day. All I know is that there was an elderly man, gray overcoat, jeans, and a soft gray cap, with a suitcase and extra bag. Not uncommon for people in ED to present to have a go bag, especially if you're ready to come in more frequently and are sicker often more than most, resulting in more frequent presentations. All I really heard as this lady was headbutting my chest was the sound of music, which again, not atypical in ED when some people are just playing their own music in the background off their phones. I turn around though, and this gentleman brought in his own full-sized record player. Not one of those mini ones you can keep on changing in and out, but actual size, normal diameter records that he kept a huge folder of them in his bag and was slowly but surely taking one out, pulling it out of the sleeve, putting it on, and starting to play. He essentially was iPod shuffling style, his record player. When he was fed up, after a minute or so, he paused it, took the record off, put it back in his sleeve, put the sleeve back into the bag, took another record out, out of its sleeve, back onto the record player, and continued this for the entire time he was there. Man looked lovely, but the surreal sounds of having 60s pop music as a lady's trying to headbutt your chest, as you're staring off into oblivion in the corner of the department, right before you finish, is its own experience. That was evening one of five, with many even more bizarre stories moving on from there. At the end of the stint, I think I may have thoroughly washed my clothes at least twice, multiple times, and this time not directly due to suspected COVID exposure. Let your imagination take you where you will for that one. Your minds are dirty, not mine. So, not the worst med shift stretch anyone has seen, but it provides an interesting example as well as a new conundrum of how to offset it slash recover from it in non-work life. Everyone always talks about work-life balance. It's a bit dichotomous, if I should say. Like, you'll have one separate from the other, and you're always trying to balance these scales. I like to kind of think of it more as a continuum. Everything is intertwined. When you got 100% work on one end, 100% on the other, so why not try and find a way to have the energy feed off both in order to proactively essentially create a better outcome for each? Intertwining some of this odd work-related energy and fueling it into the next step and vice versa. One jump ahead. What's the next thing you're going to channel this into? And how will the immediate preceding moment inspire it? I'm writing this from a hotel room after a sleep-deprived morning cheeky flight to Melbourne, and falling quickly and strongly in love with a city I've never been to. This is my example. At the time of writing, I've been in the city almost 12 hours, and finding something new and fantastical around every corner. I've 
the manic high of just finishing some good old straight from Broadway theater, specifically the show Moulin Rouge. Some sorely missed serotonin-infused choreography, superb lighting and sound design, and everything I have missed about theater during the pandemic. Why is this different? It's not my first performance. Won't be my last. Technically, my first was watching my medical school in their own med review last August and September, and that definitely will be coming up. And a bit of a spoiler for the shout-out this week, honestly. It's shameless promotion of my old school. Let's start at surface level. Why is this different? And I'm talking really superficial. Spontaneity is spontaneity. And switching up the normal work week, great. Cheeky flight out of nowhere after a long period of time? Absolutely. Why this specifically? Yeah, sure. New town, new experiences, new cafes, restaurants and Melbourne being in itself a cultural mecca. No, we have to go deeper still. This is still normal vacation fare and de-stressing, and how new experiences expand your horizons. Next level. Choosing to watch theater in the equivalent of Australia's New York City. The upkept old architecture and old styling of the Regent and Her Majesty's Theater Old theater vibes are there. The crystalline chandeliers, the multiple-storied balconies, dress and grand levels, the overpriced theater wine that still gives the experience some oomph. The museum pieces scattered about, old organs, prototype soundboard controlled by a WizTech bandstand. In short, preaching to my own cry choir and selling an authentic Broadway-like theater experience of which I hadn't done before. Why Moulin Rouge? Why pick this first? Hamilton just arrived in town from Sydney and still had most of their Australian cast. Harry Potter and the Cursed Child mere blocks away. Why did Moulin Rouge stand out? Obvious reasons out of the way. It may be nostalgic for a stolen vacation that never existed. Trips to theater cities and Broadway mid-2020 becoming sidetracked because COVID decided to be COVID. Second, this is one of the more recently straight from Broadway adaptations to hit Australia. The most updated techniques and technology influenced this and gave me the closest sensation I could get to having that ideal New York trip from 2020. Pre-pandemic days of your aside, my mind is buzzing. We have the base reason why I wanted to see it, but theater-motivated city aside, why has theater made a resurgence post-2020 with specifically, in this case, jukebox musicals? And why specifically jukebox musicals? Well, no tonal shift this time because we are straight into it. Oh, shoot, we need an intro. Okay, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Ah, here, intro, play. We're starting immediately. No time to waste, no need for further delays. We have an eight-day gap since our last catch-up. Hey, better than last time. And the wandering thoughts have stockpiled. Tangents that haven't had a chance to escape from the mind. Stressors that have pent up and have had no opportunity to be released. Here's the moment where most come out, though. The brief time slot where I rant about all the random thoughts I've had amidst treating patients running away from the city and filling time with coffee and cabaret. 
all written down in a Word doco on my phone to be expounded upon in the future. And Lord, have we have a lot to go through. Let's get weird again and go down this rabbit hole back to the mind wanderer. Booking a ticket for Moulin Rouge took three days of refreshing a webpage, both in work lunch breaks and outside of it. When I finally got a ticket, it was after about three and a half hours straight of refreshing a screen. Conversely, I managed to grab a ticket for Hamilton a mere six hours prior to the Friday night show. Not a flex, I was equally surprised and the seat was bit in the nosebleeds, but it was a seat. And yes, I'm making this point much more anecdotal for the sake of it. Perhaps it's in the source material of Moulin Rouge. Not to be confused with Moulin from the 1990s. Well, Disney princess in the cabaret. Anyway, moving on. The original Australian inspiration behind its writing and the fact that the original movie itself has become a rewatchable romantic comedy more than 20 years after its release. I get ahead of myself, though. Moulin Rouge, the original cabaret in Paris of the 1800s. The musical, written in 2001 by Baz Luhrmann and starring a young Nicole Kidman and Ewan McGregor, with others rounding out the cast like John Leguizamo, Jim Broadbent, and Richard Roxburgh, to name a few. A story of a young writer arriving from America in France, looking to pursue the romance of writing songs, discovering the bohemian scene, and pitching new show ideas, the most recent plan to do so at the Moulin Rouge. It is a lovely fever dream of a movie that wants to sell you the idea of romance, so much that it bashes you over the head with it. The rapid fire shifts in both camera movement and pace, from slow motion to hyperdextrous frame removals, giving the entire movie a Mad Max-style manic pace to it. Jim Broadbent living it up as the larger-than-life Harold Zidler, leading a continuous mashup of old and new pop songs. The more memorable one for me, aside from the elephant song medley, is the opening, made famous and the song made famous for Lady Marmalade by the Pussycat Dolls, mixed in with Because I Can and mixed in with Smells Like Teen Spirit in solid three minutes. The effect, once again, is manic. The effect, energetic, and you can't help but get swept up in it. The level of contagiousness allowed the movie soundtrack to win a Golden Globe for Best Original Score, and as far as I can tell, the only award for score that hasn't been a fully original score to win that award. As far as I can tell, you can fact check me if you will. Ever since its filming, 
the option for creating a Broadway musical adaptation has had its ebbs and flows, stops and starts, and rested to a certain degree in development hell for years, before being reintroduced to Broadway in the 2018-2019 season. By this point, the movie was its own classic, watched and rewatched to the similar levels as Clueless, Hairspray, and others. The challenge in making any Broadway show is the degree of constant competition to see, number one, what actually gets seen. Two, what sticks with being seen by the right people and shareholders and the community more to land on. Three, what future option actually goes past workshop levels to simplify an already hectic industry? To get new projects picked up for theater, it's a constant battle of writing, 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 paying for exposure, rewriting, paying for agents to get you more reach for exposure, convincing venues to showcase your talent, convincing smaller theaters to host workshops for productions you may just only have a script for, convincing friends and coworkers to help for nothing or even next to nothing, Convincing all the right people to come see it and hope to high heaven it goes well. And even then, despite all its good or even great reviews, it may not option well for a potential Broadway production, even off or off-off Broadway. That was part of the problem when Jonathan Larson spent years on his project Superbia, well before Tick, Tick, Boom, and Rent. Lin-Manuel Miranda, to a similar degree, he created In the Heights in 2008, I believe. His next writing project, bring it on a couple years later, but he didn't do Hamilton in 20, until like 2015. His promo style was slightly atypical, to a degree by going to the White House on its honorary arts night. Instead of singing In the Heights, he workshopped the opening number to Hamilton in 2009. Getting to Broadway is an accomplishment on its own, but how do you get the public to keep supporting and seeing it with their ever-fleeting attention spans? In short, what I'm getting at is what makes this specific production work. Using Moulin Rouge as an example, and what makes it work past our COVID nightmare of the past two-plus years? I have three main points which I may diverge from. First one, it's a jukebox musical. For context, take your normal musical production, high production value, a writer, singer, songwriter who has made a whole batch of original content to share with the world and hoping that momentum can carry them. Pajak and Paul with Dear Evan Hansen, Anais Mitchell creating a demo album that turned into a production with Town. You lead the way with new bangers. What if we flip the script, though? It's not a new idea, but it's one that we've typically not heard the official term for. What's the harm in using already written material, but repurposing it for the theater format? Why not take pop songs, put a score behind them, and rewrite them, make matchups, and new mix-ups, those are two words that shouldn't have existed, and make them into a successful area. It's been done before. 
jukebox musicals are significantly made up of other songs, either based on their subject matter or popular pop that have been remixed and rescored to fit a Broadway format. Many different examples in the past. You got Jersey Boys, you got Motown, the musical. You got the boy from Oz, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, lists upon lists. 2019 was a bit of a special year, though. Aside from the last year we knew in as normal, before all our memories have changed. In the time, it had not one, but three jukebox musicals having success worldwide. You had And Juliet a musical retelling the story of Romeo and Juliet from the writing perspective, specifically of Shakespeare's wife, Anne Hathaway, who rewrites the story in real time to have Juliet not go after Romeo because he is, you know, slightly crazy for someone she just met. Second, you have Jagged Little Pill, the Alanis Morissette musical about a modern family dealing with addiction, relationships, and gender identity. Made big, lasted through the ages, had survived the Broadway pause from the pandemic to a degree, and then finally closed last year. And you have our third one, Boulin Rouge. And at the time of this script, the only one that has multiple worldwide productions ongoing at the same time between Broadway, West End in the UK, and Melbourne right now. Again, that's not overgeneralized, and there is an Australian production of Jag Little Pill coming out, and Anne Juliet is still doing marbles, but they're still located in their own countries. Moving on from that, what makes it work beyond that familiarity of nostalgia, of using remixed pop songs? For Australian kind of identity, you're having a bit into patriotism. Baz Luhrmann is Australian and was, to a degree, again, Canadians speaking for Australians here, rip me apart. But nostalgia movie a lot of them grew up with, a lot of us grew up with. And, again, have a degree of nostalgia to. Knowing all the lyrics to it and remembering all those nights, sleepovers or otherwise, of which we watch and rewatch it. Next up, and I think the crux of what I want to discuss it's a musical about musos and their love for musical. And every single thing is over the top. The show knows what it is. It's over the top, not too plot heavy extravaganza about love for theater, love for the performance, love for the art, love for creating, love for each other, and love for the craft and love to share that craft. And especially, the love to do it all again. Yes, that can sum up every musical that has ever existed. But the key behind this is the audience's inner theater kid. Whether they knew it existed or not. And that kid is cheering them on the whole time. All of them. Bar none. All the times are singing in the shower when no one's looking mouthing along at concerts, and then manically switching tacks in instantly to another song that we will also poorly, or slightly less poorly, sing about. Here's my prime example from the show. 
The Act Two Opener. Spoilers, not for plot, but for the experience. As you'd expect for a musical, it's entirely so. We open up on one person sitting on a chair, groaning, love-stricken. All the plot you'll get, though, is that this scene is about a backstage romance, and aptly titled that. It starts off slow, moving into a tango rewrite of Lady Gaga's bad romance, which again, boom, you'd be surprised at how it sounds, how much it works. Boom, beat intensifies. Dancers slowly appear as the rest of the cast in the in-show production appears at the side of the stage. Dancers start dancing to a new festival-like tempo. The song is still familiar, but it's turned into a rave-like atmosphere. Plus or minus the MDMA, you don't know. And you don't judge. As we keep going, harmonies join in. Shit, is that a reworked chorus from Tainted Love? Damn. And it's gone as soon as it appears. Baseline comes back in. And it transitions to the White Stripes, Seven Nation Army. For four seconds. That's right. We're using Seven Nation Army for the bridge. Breath of fresh air. The choreography and tempo change. Lights. Strobe-like effects. The atmosphere of rave-like intensity intensifies even further for lack of a better thesaurus. We get toxic by Brittany. The lights are flickering green. We're in the fever pitch, and we sense it in each of their faces. We're also all keeping up in the audience, despite the time and key change. If you didn't realize you were at this point, boom, it hits you. If you deny keeping up, you are a liar. Transition into the arithmetic. Sweet dreams are made of these. How can you pick enough songs that hit the tempo enough and flow perfectly well? That's when you realize, as a reminder, this entire time, each of these songs has been ad-adjusted to the same Rapid tempo. I took a listen to every single one of them afterwards. They are much slower songs than this show. The dancers are keeping up as we are, though. Mixing dance styles with key changes. Bam, bam, bam. Until we finish the final end. High pitch fail on the last chords of Bad Romance. And boom! End of song. That was Act 2, Scene 1, baby. As usual, I don't give these moments enough justice. But the Act 2 opener of Moulin Rouge is by far a theater moment that will remain with me for ages. Let's take a moment and cool it down. Bring it in for a brief summary of the above. The jukebox musical with Moulin Rouge as an example works because it's building on an audience presumption that we all grew up with same or shared musical taste. And more often times than none, it's a correct assumption. Two, we're tapping into Broadway workers' love for musicals and wanting to perform and making the love, action of loving to love and loving to loving to love to love what they do and creating a production centered around all their shared history and experiences. You know if you know. As an extra point, it relies on each and every one of us wanting to join them on stage, whether we actively realize or not. 
How is this the one that survives pandemic, though? Ever since the beginning in early 2020, I was I was following the theater scene avidly anyways. But as soon as COVID-19 hit the U.S., particularly in New York, for at least a solid entire year, everything was shut down in terms of the arts. In terms of what they did in the meantime, though, the amount of community that appeared in that moment is still striking to me. A lot of the theater professions between the singers, the songwriters, the production designers, costume designers, makeup artists, etc., repurposed each of their jobs to fundraise for people in the pandemic, fundraise to people who are out of their luck, homeless, etc., in New York at the time. The costume designers came around and started knitting together Healthcare uniforms, healthcare masks, reusable ones for everybody. Every one of them repurposed their talents to help the medical care response. And it's crazy how much a sense of community we can get at that point. How did the jukebox musical survive this, though? And how is this the one that honestly controversial opinion at time of seeing it and time of seeing it in very close proximity to Hamilton. Why does this one stick with me more? And I think it's one that's truly encapsulating the immediate pre-pandemic energy and the recognition of how close of a normal we've tried to get got back to. And it's a reminder to everyone, especially in the theater scene, how, again, Almost ironically, this was one of the first ones to close pre-pandemic and one of the first ones to reopen back up. And one of the ones to honestly survive that initial kind of stop-start area of 2021. Other ones didn't do it. Beetlejuice didn't do it. Jagged Little Pill didn't. I think it's the reassuring breath of fresh air, as well as the... Reassuring pat on the shoulder that we kind of all needed for this. After all that, let's finish by getting even realer. How can the jukebox musical save you from your work-life crisis? How can the jukebox musical save you from your work-life crisis? Yes, I'm pointing directly at you, especially you two. I see you way in the far back there. I see you listing off. Don't try to hide it. People want to find balance. Envisioning work and life as two separate things, but we know it's intertwined. So why not normalize all of this weird intertwining? Why do we love it and why do we need it? You love it because it's pure, unadulterated energy and we haven't had enough. It's a meshwork of songs we all know familiar and bridges the audience gap all the more easier. It's allowing us to connect with each other again and hopefully start pulling down the barriers that we built up due to isolation, due to increasing inflammatory political climate, but back into it. Let's think of one step deeper, yearning for something pre-pandemic, pre-war state of 2022. I'm generalizing this, but two main factors that spurred the Roaring Twenties in the first place, immediate post-influenza pandemic, or a couple of these. Again, skipping over the addition of all the intricacies of credit, but we refocus. Deeper still, 
we're still scratching the surface here. It's about emotional expression. It's being allowed to emotionally express everything we've held pent up. Happiness, sadness, relief, giving us relief from burnout. It's about mental health. It's about to trying to find reason, suspension of disbelief, and not caring about reason, paradoxically. It's about creating a moment that will stick to people's souls, attacking all the senses for any visual, kinetic, auditory learners, and any combination of the above to get the stick in their head. It's about kids finally seeing theater again for a long time, sometimes their first experience, finding love and a loving atmosphere, acceptance and inspiration to do whatever the hell they like, except crime. It's about, honestly, the adult male spending hours a week recording his own voice to broadcast the void. And no matter what happens, it's about the person on the other end. If they don't get it, fine. One person gets it. It's about you. To finish this off, I'd like to kind of float back to a couple of lyrics. Aptly titled from a song in a musical. The musical called Something Rotten. The song called A Musical. <laughs> Honestly. And word for word. Main chorus. Why do we do it? Because it's a musical a musical and nothing's as amazing as a musical with song and dance and sweet romance and happy endings happening my happenstance bright lights stage fights and the dazzling chorus you want to be great and late create a musical aside from the horrible tone change i'll leave you with that whatever you want to make out of it Thanks for listening to my past 40-plus minutes of geeking out on theater as we finally wander back to the present. My Telegraph shout-out this week is a show I hold near and dear to my heart. The UQ, University of Queensland Medical School, and their UQ Med Review, with their upcoming 2022 production in August of this year. Mind you, I did barely any theater before that, on and off band and choir and high school musical theater. It was a surprise when I found it down here and an extra surprise that I found it in med school. I'd be lying if I said I'd be the same person without this production. In typical review style, we have a production helmed and run entirely by medical students who all just happen to be musos, killer singer-songwriters, production wunderkinds, and instrumental geniuses, all of which definitely have careers outside of medicine, aside from the job security. The style is a mix of main plot, choir, and dance showcases, with single show-stopping skits and videos in between. It's been, yikes, it's been three years since I was last involved, and I miss every single one of that production dearly. Not just because of their amazing talent, but helping me to honestly feel welcome more than I expected to be as an international and in a profession that I was significantly struggling with at the time. I digress, though. For another podcast, wink, wink. UQ Med Review. 
they can be followed and supported in two major ways. Three of this case, now that I count my list, through their Facebook page, my lord, through their Facebook page at UQ Med Review. Similarly, through their website, uqmedreview.org, or going through the uqms.org slash medreview. And Instagram in similar fashion. Keep your eye out. They only have four shows, and then they're gone for the year. Once again, thank you for listening to my Mind Wander. I hope you caught some of the same musical crazy that I constantly have. This week is brought to you by the Work-Life Continuum. Finding new and unexpected alleys to wander down, the constant sponsor of the show, which is musical theater. And finally rebounding after a long, long kind of down period. Thanks for your time. I'll see you all next time. I'll leave you with a cheeky little two-second piece of this music. Else I'll be taken down, but enjoy backstage romance for two seconds. Oh, and uh, watch your ears in three, two, one, and...